Hello, and welcome back to Fizzy Kids, the podcast. I am your host, Ali Fanshaw, and this is the show where we talk about all those things that make our kids fizzy and fabulous. So guys, welcome back to season two of Fizzy Kids, the podcast, where we are talking about fizzy kids and their folk and meeting people with a range of experiences of supporting their fizzy kids. Last episode, we talked to the lovely Steph, a fantastic teacher of kids with additional needs. She reminded us of a few things, including the importance of communication between teachers and pupils, and also that need for a strong working relationship between schools and the parents of fizzy kids in order to help make sure our kids aren't losing their way in school. This episode, we are talking to Jo. Jo is the younger brother to a fabulous lady who grew up with cerebral palsy. There were lots of tough days, but great ones too. And Jo walks us through both and how he dealt with it. And it got me thinking, there must be lots of siblings of fizzy kids out there who dealt with their own journey. I've done a bit of research into this and it's clear that for some siblings, growing up with fizzy kids can be traumatic. In some extreme cases, it has even led to post-traumatic stress disorder. For others, they may take it all in their stride and find their own way through. But one thing's for sure, we mustn't forget them because they have their own story, which is equally as valid and deserves to be heard. So grab a cuppa, sit back and enjoy the show. Hi Joe, how are you doing? We have Joe from the Liminal Podcast on with us today to talk a little bit about all things fizzy kids. Joe, it's really nice to have you on. How are you doing? Good, yeah, yeah. Um I had a good busyish day working, all of that usual stuff. But yeah, good to chat to you again. I know. It was um it was a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it, when I came on with you guys? It was my first ever guest podcast. I was so excited to be asked onto somebody else's podcast. Yeah, and it went really well. Uh, a, a good chat, um, a lot of topics we discovered uh, and things we discussed. Um, a lot I didn't think we would discuss. Um, it was a bit of a long one, um, but yeah, really good. I know. It was um, It was really interesting, actually, I kind of being a guest rather than like the interviewee rather than the interviewer. I definitely felt like I warm. It took me a while to warm up. I felt about halfway through. I felt like I got into my stride, but the first, the first like half an hour was quite hard. Yeah, the tables have turned. I'll probably suffer with a bit of that, um, but I'm quite a, a confident. Maybe even you would say arrogant man. So it'll probably five minutes, <laughs> and I'll be rolling probably giving a weird anecdote that no one wants to know. Most likely. <laughs> That is absolutely fine. Um, I'm going to just tell the listeners a little bit about why I asked you on today, but most of all, I'm going to let you talk. So just to get us started, guys, um, Joe, I asked Joe to come on today because uh, he has a sister who has disabilities and we started having a really interesting conversation on the podcast I was on with Joe about what it was like to be a sibling of a child who has learning difficulties or just physical disabilities um, or who had kind of big feelings and big behaviors and it just really got me thinking that there are probably an awful lot of siblings out there who live that life and there will be good bits to that life and more challenging bits to that life but it just felt like there was more to say Joe, didn't there? 
Yeah, I think we didn't focus solely on that, but it certainly came up because that was my experience with it. Um, and it helped relate a little bit because there was a lot of similarities between the story you told and uh, your experience with your children and mine and a few differences, I think, because they were slightly different disabilities and uh, things to deal with, shall we say. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, let's let's start with you, Joe. It'd be really nice to know a little bit more about you. I know you're sitting at home like a lot of people right now working, uh, but when you're not just sitting at home, what do you get up to? Tell us more about you. Um, I'm a bit of a weirdo. I, I like picking up hobbies and dropping them. So the question is, what am I doing at the minute? Um, I'd probably say podcasting is one of them um, because that works very well with lockdown. Um, and more recently, walking, which is something I never thought I would say. So I'm only 24. Uh, and I probably used to view people that were walking around, around random canals as uh, slightly older, uh, maybe exploring in their uh, yesteryears. Um, but I'm now one of those people. So they're probably the things that are taking up most of my time, uh, mainly because that's kind of what I can do at the minute. But I'd say those are the two of the things that are taking up most of my non-work time. Joe, have you bought yourself a pair of walking boots? Is that what you're trying to tell us? I've not, but I need to. I'm not need. I, I do, do need to. I, I live around Manchester, and we suffer a lot with rain, uh, and rain causes problems when you've got an old pair of running shoes that don't really have anything left on the bottom of them. Yeah, you definitely need to, and, and maybe a pair of gaiters, a pair of gaiters to go with with your walking boots. Maybe a backpack. Yeah. yeah, I'm thinking a plastic map covering here, Joe. You know, I think I think the, the all our listeners are thinking how underkitted out you sound. Yeah, maybe I could get some suggestions. Um, <laughs> I'd ask my dad, but he's not a walker. Uh, he is a pure David Lloyd's old school leisure man, so he, he wouldn't be too much use on this one. I love it. Okay, um, so podcasting and walking aside, um, where where did you grow up, Joe? Tell us about where you grew up. I grew up not in Manchester. I grew up in Leicester, which is my, which might be why you hear a bit more of a maybe chavier accent because that's kind of what Leicester's associated with. Um, I grew up there for about eighteen years, um, probably a bit bit middle class, lower middle. That kind of is how I would describe it. Um, and we lived a bit of a colourful upbringing, I would probably say, um, mainly due to my parents, who are colourful human beings. I would say. I think I quite like to be described like that by my children when I'm older. What yeah, makes they, them colourful? Uh, they, I, I think, and they probably wouldn't want to admit this. I think they were a bit of hippies before uh, they had kids. Um, hippies slash kind of musicy punk people. So they lived a bit of a loose life, um, and that kind of carried on. Uh, and they wanted us to experience that and experience the world and become I'd probably say quite confident people because I'd say they're both very confident people especially in the things that they do uh, and it just meant that we did a lot of things we, we were that family that were getting in the car at 8am and going to the place we'd never been to before that's three hours away because we've done everything in between uh, we were that family. So you talk about us tell us a little bit more about the us. Uh, so I am the youngest so I'm the baby um, so I'm the comedic genius and uh, the soft touch for the family uh, to use. Uh, I have an older sister, Kate, who has cerebral palsy, um, which we'll probably get on to. Uh, and then my mum and dad. Uh, my mum, who is a teacher, uh, happily retired, really happily retired, um, if you ask her about that. And my dad, who's also recently retired, who works in schools. So they both worked in the public sphere. And I, I think it would certainly say it helped a lot 
with my sister's upbringing as well. A lot of connections and just experience of, of how that can kind of work. Yeah. So, I mean, if it's all right with you, we never spend that much time talking about the kids on Fizzy Kids, despite the name, because it's really all about how we, as the people around Fizzy Kids, have learned to help support them in the best way possible. But if you're okay with just telling us a little bit more about your sister, that would be really helpful. Yeah, of course I can. Um, So, yeah, I was the younger one. So she was a couple of years older than me. Um, and obviously, the younger years are the harder ones, as, as I'm sure most people would uh, assume. Uh, and then as she grew up, she went to university. She's now moved out, uh, living a happily l- good life. I won't share any else with her personal stuff, uh, boyfriends, etc. cetera. Um, but I'm sure if she heard this, she would probably kill me for even saying that alone. Um, but yeah, she has seeks a lot of independence in her life and got it really so pretty inspirational person and and nice to have someone that's so close to you who you've kind of supported and they've supported you back and a kind of to and fro over the years yeah so what did her cerebral palsy what did that kind of mean in terms of your day-to-day life when you were growing up how did it how did it affect family life it's a couple of things and and there's positives and negatives obviously with anything like this i mean the kind of negatives are it makes everything harder um because i think mentally especially for the family so me and my family it's it's a big ask because you've got to support in lots of different ways the physical part of it is probably less than the mental part of it um because walking was a bit of a challenge and, and doing certain activities was a bit of a challenge but you can overcome them it was more the mental uh, especially for my parents in the younger years, how do they support her and, and educate her on why she's feeling the way she does when she has physical pain, she has all of the other stuff that children experience when they're growing up. Um, so say good days and bad days, um, but certainly closeness and just the communication as a family as a whole was very good on the most part because of that. Yeah, so so you actually found, I guess, that because you were the younger one when you turned up in the world everything was already happening in order to support her so is she a couple of years older than you she's a couple of years older yeah and I think memory serves me well I'm pretty sure they were kind of aware something was going on um a slight difference um neurologically etc and physical things were starting to show uh, but they weren't 100% sure and that's when I came along so it, it, the ball was starting to be rolled, but it certainly wasn't completely aware. But obviously, by the time I was a toddler, um, it pretty it was literally kicking off, uh, as yeah. you can imagine. Yeah, because that, I mean that's a good point, really, isn't it? That um, you know, for a lot of um, learning difficulties and some physical disabilities as well, actually, it's quite hard to get a diagnosis in those early years. It, it isn't until kids are kind of five, six onwards that it starts to become more apparent that they have some additional needs. So it sounds like that was similar for your sister. Yeah, basically. I, I remember, well, I don't remember that well, but I've been told a lot that it took years at times. It, it took years and I think eventually they actually got uh, a couple actually who both specialise in hemiplegia, which is a, a variation of cerebral palsy. Uh, and that they were actually my sister's doctors for most of her life. So you, you've got to establish that relationship and get someone who, who can just work out what's going on. So I think at that very young age, either it's A, it's very hard to work out or B, 
a lot of people just kind of guess it and wing it and give you no assistance at all and only make it worse actually. Yes so having the right professionals on board is critical isn't it? Yeah Um, so I mean so if we just kind of focus on you because obviously it's you who's on the podcast and, and that's really why we asked you to come on. I mean when do you think you became first aware of the fact that your sister had additional needs and can you kind of give us any I don't know, feelings about about that time and that kind of understanding that slowly kind of grew with you? I couldn't put a finger on the age, but I'd certainly say it was under 10. I'd, I'd probably say maybe some bet- point between 6 and 10, I've truly understood. Um, I, I think before that, I don't think you can you can as a child. Um, you just kind of accept things for the way they are. Um, but what I probably remember is there was, I, I think I understood from a very young age that I played a big role. Uh, in the fact that um, because I was going through stages of life that she's been through in a slightly different way, I knew that I could play a good role and, and kind of be that kind of comedic, joking around, normal kid that can bring the family to life. So I, I definitely felt a bit of that. Um, on the flip side, I certainly think I chose to isolate at times. Um, I, I think I felt that actually sometimes I was getting in the way. Uh, or it'd be better for me maybe just to harbour up how I was feeling that day and take myself out of the situation when it is one of those days when everything seems to be going wrong, everything just seems to kind of go up a little bit. Um, so th- I think I feel like I was either all in and I was centre of it all, or actually I would take myself out from a very early age, actually, which does sound kind of weird to say, but I definitely remember those times. Yeah. Okay. So there's two things there, aren't there? So there's the the comedic side, maybe that kind of, like you say, that need to feel useful by making everyone laugh and kind of bringing lightness to the day. Because I I guess I'm just wondering whether whether that's a natural part of your character, which it could well be, right? Or whether there's maybe something there that it was almost like your responsibility to be the one who kind of lightened the load of your family a little. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's, it's. I could probably sense it after a while. I think when you're a kid, you are very clever emotionally at times. You, you're very good at reading situations uh, and you get used to repetitive situations quite quickly um, because you're learning how to be a human. So you want to fit in and you want to be liked and want to be all of those things. So I think I fell into that and it developed a lot of my personality. It, it kind of gave me that independence of thoughts probably from a bit earlier than maybe I was meant to develop that. Um, and just allowed me to kind of slide into those social, <clears throat> allow me to, to slide into those social situations a little bit easier, uh, and slide myself out, uh, and knowing when actually the best thing that I can do for the family, or in my head, the best thing is actually to separate myself out, go and play with Lego for two or three hours, and wait for the next thing to happen when the storm has passed, which eventually it will. Yeah, yeah. So that's, I mean. I wonder whether you've got any sense or memory of what it felt like during those times of whether actually you kind of felt comfortable and safe in making that decision or whether there were any bigger and scarier feelings about that time. Again, it's hard to recall. I would probably say there was periods of jealousy, I think, Uh, because again, although I am doing the action, the thoughts are still there. So I know this is the right thing to do for the family, but I'm I'm still questioning why. Because um, my parents did a great job at educating me why things were the way they were. But when you're a kid, it's not always going to go in. 
you kind of just accept it on the face of it. Um, so there were certainly periods where I kind of have a little bit of jealousy and think, right, well, I'm just going to do this because no one wants to give me attention right now. Um, but I think I would always come to the right point eventually. So either I would do something to try and get attention and kind of be like, look, we can't deal with what you want to do right now because we need to do this. Um, or I, I could kind of work out, look, I know whatever I'm going to do right now is not going to work. So I'm just going to do the thing that I need to do. I'll get my attention later. Um, but it's certainly a juggling act I remember doing for sure. Yeah. And actually, it's really interesting listening to you because it makes me think of situations in our house at Fizzy Kids HQ. And one thing I noticed is that my elder son, Fizzy Kid One, when things are kicking off with his younger brother, he, like you, will take himself off quite happily, go and play with Lego, go and watch the TV and seems very kind of quiet on the outside of it and quite calm. And actually, but we do see a reaction later on, later down the line. And I'm not saying that you did as well, but it's just making me think about there's probably a lot of kids out there who live in families and are part of families where there is a child who has additional needs, who maybe, you know, some of them might not be able to deal with it maybe in the same mature way that you were able to. And that must be, that must be quite hard. Yeah, because yeah. like you say, you feel like you're you're trying to do the right thing. You want to do the right thing. You're a, you're a good person and you're, you're doing the best for your family and you're loyal to your sister and your parents. But it's not easy in making that choice, is it always? Yeah. And packing emotions up at that age, I think, is a big ask uh, of a child. As much as they know it's the right thing to do, um, it will spill out. Because uh, even as adults, we, we all struggle to do that. Um, it's, it's not hard to pack things up and, and kind of look at it later on. Um, and without it coming out in a weird and wonderful way or as a kid that could be quite a you know quite an event maybe at certain times and a real plea for attention and almost yeah I mean what what are your thoughts Joe? um there's quite a lot of talk at the moment uh, around supporting young carers so children who maybe have um, siblings with additional needs who provide a lot of care and attention to their siblings. What, what's your thought about kind of that label for them, if you like, and and whether or not that's the right thing to do to support them um, and, to, and to kind of talk about it in that way? Have you got any thoughts on that? I think it's hard because it's going to depend on the family situation and, and how that dynamic has played out. I think if you look at it in a general way, um, I certainly think the education part of it is huge and it's something my parents and um, as, as we've maybe mentioned a little bit, one of the disability charities we work really closely with did so well. Um, just educating those siblings on, on why things are the way they are, because, again, you can get thoughts ingrained in your head and it's really hard to process emotional things like that. Um, they're your parents. Why, why don't they want to spend that six hours with me, um, for example, or... I feel like I'm here, but it's almost like I'm invisible. You know, those feelings will happen as a sibling. And sometimes you will need an adult, probably who's not your parent, like a carer, like someone who's got experience of it, just to sit down with you and have that 20 minutes and just go, look, how do you feel when this happens? Uh, And they'll kind of just play it out for you and almost get you to have a conversation with yourself. Um, Because I think, like I've kind of mentioned it, when you are in that young um before adolescent state, your 
your thought processes are not quite there. I, th- I think you know the right things to do, but you can't really think them out. Um, you've not really been educated how to think them out. So I think you need that adult just to bounce off. And as I say, I think someone who isn't your parents is normally the better person for that. Uh, and another example I'd probably give is my grandparents who were superb at this. And they could just recognize just based off my behavior or how my demeanor and they just take me away for five minutes and do that. Uh, but yeah, I think certainly that is how I would play it if I was dealing with myself, maybe seven, eight years old. Yeah, so there's a real importance there that you're saying around a network, having a network, not just around the child who has the additional or special needs, but around their siblings and yeah. and being being very aware of the impact that it's having on the siblings too. I mean, in you know, there there have been extreme cases, and they are extreme, and fortunately they don't happen often, but some siblings can experience post-traumatic stress disorder as a result of what they see and witness from their siblings in the home because of their needs. And that is at the extreme end, but we can't ignore that, can we? You know, there there is always going to be an effect for some. For some kids, it's not going to be as strong, but for others, it might be really deep and long lasting. And that's quite, it, it, it's quite, you feel like those, the, the siblings might sometimes get overlooked and that could be a really difficult situation to be in, couldn't it? Yeah, it's that packing up process that, that siblings, I think, will fall into. Uh, and if you pick, pack that up a little bit too much, obviously that's a very extreme version of that. But if you do pack it up too much, you will have incidents like that. Um, and you'll harbour feelings and you'll turn it into something that's more than a feeling, which could be a bit of an ongoing issue, which is not what you want. Um, and it, But it's hard to recognise. It's really hard. Like any mental health thing, you have to really do it when you don't even know if you need to do it, if that makes sense, because it's, it's almost like a double check. That, that's yes. kind of how you have to do it. It's not going to be obvious. It, it's not even if you ask them that directly, they may not even want to respond in the fact that, look, in, in their head, they think, right, if I do get this out, is this then going to become a thing? And actually, this is then going to be an ongoing issue we've got because they're already dealing with an ongoing issue that they know will probably never truly end. It's going to evolve and it's going to adapt a little bit, but actually they don't want to add to that mix. Um, so it's doing it in the right way and it's doing it in a very safe and secure way as well. Yeah, that that's a really interesting point. So there's that you know, you spoke about that potential feeling of jealousy, about the attention and, you know, not always feeling like you could be number one, um, even if at that time you needed it. And then you also talk about that feeling of of guilt. And that's um, that that I can imagine could feel really strong for some people who have siblings with additional needs, you know, that kind of almost guilty feeling about maybe you feel guilty because you haven't got that disability. Maybe you feel guilty because you're asking for just a small amount of your parents' time, even though you haven't really had much. Maybe you're feeling guilty because you can't do more or you're feeling guilty because you've got these big feelings, but somehow they don't feel justifiable. So guilt must be, must be a, must be a part of it. And that's, that's, um, difficult for a young child to probably deal with yeah and a lot, a lot of times they won't be able to unfortunately uh, and yeah. that and bad behavior can come of that you know the, the child may really maybe at a slightly older age it depends on the dynamic of the family that might translate into other things where perhaps they want to seek independence from the situation um, it's not what happened in my case but I could see why that would 
kind of come about uh, and being around other families in quite odd dynamics sometimes, like really big families that I tend to see in that there was a couple of siblings that would really remove themselves from the situation uh, emotionally, physically they were there, but emotionally and any other kind of form of it, they just simply weren't there for it. So I think that's another way you can do it. And they just process it and go, right, this isn't going to be my situation or mentally, I'm not going to allow myself to do it uh, and not harbor the guilt. That's, that's another way it can do. It. And again, that's a bit extreme and that's a dynamic dynamic that's pretty rare, but again, it can happen. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about how, what your parents did, how, how your parents went about trying to make sure that you got the love and care and attention that you needed when, when they had another child with, with such high needs. Lots and lots of different ways. Um, it, it's, it's hard to pinpoint one. I, I think a couple of things I'd probably mention, uh, we were involved in a charity called Steps, which was huge for my sister in lots of ways because they were teaching a physical kind of developments and, and getting her connected with similar people. But that same place, there was a siblings club um, and I would spend a lot of time there uh, and develop it. And, and so they would know when to take me along to that and when actually – um, I kind of wanted one of those days where I wasn't involved in it and I wanted I could go to my grandparents or or do that so I think they were very good at reading my emotions particularly my mum really good at reading my emotions and seeing where mentally I was at um, and whether I wanted to lock myself away and play with Lego or whatever for four hours they could just about work that out um, because although I think I am quite a confident person I do sometimes want those days where I'll take a lot of time for myself. I probably won't even communicate with many people that much. Um, so I think them kind of recognizing my behavior, um, what I needed at times and giving me that focus. And that's kind of what that is. That, it's almost like making a to-do list and then putting my name on it and going, right, how do we support Joey today? Yes, we've got all these things going on uh, with, with Kate, but how do we actually su- support him today? Because um, my blocks are like big blocks, four, six hour blocks, whereas hers are like one, two hours. So I, I think they did that. Uh, another thing I've mentioned is they made it really fun. They made family time incredibly fun. And we went on these weird and wonderful holidays around the world where we would swap houses with people for two, three, four weeks at a time. Um, those crazy days in the car, traveling down to London or wherever we were going to go to, it, it just made it fun and entertaining and and kind of, we used that closeness um, as a tool, really. Um, we stood out as a family. Uh, we, <clears throat> i say it again. We stood out as a family to a ridiculous amount. You know, we looked weird on the face of it. And that's not just because we have a disabled person in the family. We're all dressing in weird and wonderful ways. My parents are dressing me up like something like from fancy dress for the early years until I got the control back. Um, but yeah, it was just a fun and wacky family. And we embraced that and, and really accepted that at times. I love that. I love that idea of a family that stands out, but it sounds like you stood out for the right reasons, you know, because you were having fun. And yeah. that, I, I think that is so important as well, isn't it? That ability to play, to just let yourself go as a family. And that can be hard when you have a lot of stuff going on behind the doors, but it sounds like they did whatever they could to just let go and play and have fun. And um, that I think that's a good reminder. It's a really good reminder that 
you remember that? Because I think for some parents of fizzy kids and parents of non-fizzy kids, it's quite hard some days. You worry that maybe your kids are going to end up with this memory of childhood that isn't all that great because of all the tough times. But actually what you're saying is that if you have those fun days, if you have those play days, you do remember them. They become they become a part of your memory and they stick with you. Yeah, you just got to adapt to your situation, be comfortable in accepting that this is the situation because it's, it's going to be like that for most of the, the child's life and most of yours. Um, and the, the sooner you embrace that and then the, if you do it in the right ways, it creates this really good environment for everyone involved. That's siblings, that's a disabled child or someone with needs and the parents and the people around the family. Um, because those hard moments can make the good moments seem way, way better because, you know, six, seven hours ago, you're having a pretty torrid time. Everyone was kind of feeling the heat of the situation. And now you've come together and it's kind of brand you closer and you've kind of reconnected. Everyone's gone. Yeah. Do you know what? It kind of bored over a little bit and we understand why that happened. Uh, and now we can have fun. Um, and I think that balance is huge. And coming together in both of those is a massive, massive part of it. Yeah, you just made me feel better, Joe, because we had a really fizzy weekend here at Fizzy Kids HQ. And um, but this morning, they everyone came down to breakfast in quite a good mood. We stuck the radio on, turned the tunes up, sat and played chess with breakfast, and got the chess set absolutely covered in like you know golden syrup. And the kitchen was a mess, and the kids were asking if they could have lollies, and I was like, "Yeah, fine, have a lolly for breakfast. That is, I don't care. It's fine." And, you know, it, it's so important, isn't it, to just remember that and um, and not to take it all serious, too seriously, because it can feel, like you say, quite torrid and serious at times. Yeah, yeah it's overwhelming and, it, and it's hard for everyone. I think you have to always remember that everyone involved in the situation feels the heat of that. Uh, and it's easy to kind of sit down at the end of the day and go, right, oh, my God, this was so bad. And these are the feelings I'm feeling about it. But it's the same for everyone. You're all living together. You're all this kind of team and unit that has to get through it. Um, and I'm sure as we spoke on the show that you came on with us, there is an absolute breaking point. Of course there is. You know, I felt that in my family. Um, there was a couple of times in, when I was younger, I could feel it going, we are struggling now. Um, and then you find your feet the network gets built and before you know it, everything just seems to be swimmingly moving along and it, it becomes normality. And I say all those fun moments just seem to pop up more and more and more and, and you've completely embraced your situation. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a very good reminder because it's so easy to get bogged down in it. Um, would you mind, Joe, I'd love to hear more about you and Kate together. How, how did your relationship evolve as a sibling, a sibling pair over the years? Yeah, I mean, again, we spoke a bit about this and this is how it came up. Um, I was an annoying little brother because that's what I was meant to be. Um, and again, I, although I had a bit of emotional intelligence, I still just treat it as my big sister. So I'm winding her up. Uh, she's giving me like food when I shouldn't have had it when I was too young. All of those kind of normal things that you would have, uh, for example, things like play fighting and Things, again, we probably shouldn't have done because, you know, I could have broke her leg even more than it kind of already looks. Um, and all of that silly banter there that we would have, um, that carried on. Um, and we were a very close pair. Um, and there was times when I would feel like an older brother. Uh, and then as I got a bit older and mentally I didn't 
kind of evolve as men tend not to uh, when they get in the teenage years. She became a much older sister to me. Um, so, that, you know, that relationship's evolved uh, as, as all siblings do in any way, uh, in many ways. But it, I say a lot of it was that fun and I would just bring her back to normality. I think that, that was what my role was really. And I knew that and I got really good at that and I could, I could really play on it. I think that sounds lovely. It's a it's a lovely thought to be somebody who needs just a bit of extra help in life and to have a brother next to her who could just help to lighten the load and make things feel better some days. So it sounds like you did that job for her, which is lovely. And how how about now? How do you guys hang out? Uh well we don't live that close to each other. No. So we're, we're a couple of hours drive, but yeah, we do uh when I'm back in Leicester. Um, she's got her own place, so I'll, I'll go and poke around her flat and point out how she's not watered her plants properly and it's a bit of a mess and all of that usual stuff. Um, we'll talk about everything, really. Um, it, it's still got that kind of playful sibling feeling, which I don't think will ever go, to be honest, um, because you know, you're spending hours at a time uh, in your younger years um, doing some weird and wonderful things with your parents. You, you're going to have a lot to talk about. Uh, but, yeah, we certainly do. And she, she'll message me every now and again, reminding me of her critical birthdays that I have to remember and all those uh, admin things that she's a bit better at than me. I think uh, that sounds like a pretty standard brother-sister relationship to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it is in many ways. It's an incompetent younger brother being guided by an older sister. That, that's just all it is, really. I love that. I love the thought of that. Um, I think just... Uh, we're going to wrap up in a minute, but there's one kind of thought in my head, which maybe you can just shed some light on having been through what you've been through as a family. You know, on, on the really tough days, on those days when you just don't quite know which way is up, what was the one thing that got you through as, as the sibling of a fizzy kid? I know you talked, you yeah, talked about yeah. kind of stepping away and hiding away and you you talked about you know your ability to kind of be comedic but if there was one thing and somebody was listening to this and they were thinking yeah I've been there or I am currently there you know what what would you say to them that would help them get through do you mean for me personally or for the family yeah for you for you yeah if, if I was looking back to my younger self it was that it's not going to be like how I'm feeling forever. It's going to evolve because it does feel like a forever thing when you're in the moment. I think that's what it is. I think it's so hard. Anything long-term is always hard to picture, you know, saving money, whatever it is, until you start to put the building blocks there, you're never going to see it in any shape, way, or <clears throat> in any shape, way, I can't speak, in any shape, way or form. It's just not going to be there. Um, so I think that's the one and it's persistence and it's consistency and it's evolving with the family uh, as a sibling. That's probably what I would say. Um, and, and playing your part and knowing what your part is in that family, because you have a huge, huge part and you are one of the most important supportive figures in that person's life, I would say. Yeah. So it's just it's remembering that it is a phase. Everything is a phase to some degree. But your role is just as critical as anybody else's in the family. Yeah, exactly. And the intensity yeah. of it will probably not phase for a long time. 
um, but you will get used to it. And it feels like for a long time, that could be years, that could be however long, you will get used to it and you'll get comfortable with it after a while. Um, because when you're starting to adapt, it is so hard. It's really hard and it can be mentally draining and tiring. And you'll sit in a chair and, you, you know, it'll be half an hour where you can't think about anything else. But you'll get used to that and, and harbour your emotions and thoughts in a better way, in a more positive way. Joe, thank you so much. That has been really inspiring to listen to. And I hope that there are people out there who listen to this and take a couple of things that you said from it. As you say, we're all very different individuals and every family situation with a fizzy kid has a different scenario and a different issues and challenges to deal with. But remembering that we all have a part to play in our families is is a really, really good way to end. So thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you to Kate for being an awesome big sister by the sound of it. And, um, yeah, I'm sure she will. Um, no, we really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much, Joe. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of our new season of podcasts. As always, you can find us on Instagram or Facebook. Our handle is at the fizzy kids or on our website, www.fizzykids.co.uk where you can sign up for our newsletter and access free downloads on learning a new parenting language. We'll be back next week where we meet Lindsay, who's a sports coach with a particular expertise in para-swimming and has spent many years coaching kids with additional and special needs to help them reach their full potential. So until then, take care and keep defizzing that fizz.